and Paul Gallant. So are we not supposed to tip picks in the in the NHL expansion draft? How do, how do we deal with this? Well, I think some handshake agreements are already being made as things slowly unfold because I think you want to sometimes, potentially, if there's a player that has a big salary, you want to be able to also get some draft picks away from said team because you could actually be doing them a favor by offloading salary from the books. So some of these deals are already done. And based off of, Danny, the tea leave reading that I have done over the last couple of days, it does feel like we at least know four potential Seattle Kraken. It would be Florida goalie Chris Dreiger, Calgary defenseman Mike Giordano, Chicago forward Daman Nikita Zadorov, and Toronto center. This is the latest one because down at Pike Place Market, we saw um, an announcement made as a, as a fellow caught a fish, Toronto center Alexander Kerfoot. Those are the four Kraken that I feel like we have a pretty good idea will be Kraken when they make the draft tomorrow. Yeah, you're talking about reading the tea leaves. I'm talking about listening to the fish thrower. Oh. First of all, the highly the highly original bit of incorporating fish throwing into a Seattle sports event, which we've never seen before. Why do you hate it? I hate it. Why? Because it's cliched. It's played out. Every time anybody comes here, they've created a national image. Well, better that than the gum wall. The gum gum wall's fine compared to the fish throwing. (laughs) What? Okay. Yes, the, the the fish throwing thing is played out. But anyway, so they have one of the fish throwers who catches a fish, and then they're like, hey, Alexander Kerfoot from the Maple Leafs. So it's recorded. I don't know if it's some sort of rehearsal. The Hockey News has retweeted of, hey, look, this is one of the players they're going to pick. So anyway, that, that could be someone that goes there. Let's turn the page and get to the Mariners. Ryan Divish covers them for the Seattle Times. He's also a friend of the program and an occasional antagonist of mine. Specifically, we duel over si- cranial size. Who's got the bigger head? Uh, Ryan has picked his gargantuan melon up off his pillow. He's now going to uh, take his cell phone, which somehow reaches from his ear to his mouth, which probably might take a little bit of pivoting because the said melon is so large. Ryan, how are you this morning? How's my favorite little hobbit? <laughs> What's truly amazing about this, Danny, is that when, when they hired Paul, it, it seemed like there was a height requirement, but on the minimum scale, so that you would not feel so short <laughs> and so just, you know, inadequate in terms of looking like a Tootsie Pop with a little body and a big melon. <laughs> so they go out and get Paul, somebody of similar size, Whoa. who does not look like a garden tackle next to you, you know, and so you can both, you guys both can... You know, playing the under five foot ten basketball tournament. I say, well, I'm five eleven. I take offense to that. I don't believe that for a second. I say this as somebody who stands about five eight and a half and has measured himself in terms of height against just about every baseball player in there to call them the David Eckstein All Stars of players that I'm taller than. So uh, yeah, but I also hate the fish throwing. By the way, (laughs) yeah, why does everyone hate it? It's so stupid. It's beyond stupid. It's beyond stupid. It's like when people say that Isaiah Thomas is from Seattle. He's not. He's from Tacoma. Correct. It's People think that we shop for fish by going through shopping markets here. Like, hey, throw me a fit. Like, no, it's one merchant that does it, and it was funny 25 years ago. Like, we've, we've grown beyond that as a city. We have a lot to offer, including the Seattle Mariners. It, yes. Did you have something else to add on fish throwing? I'm always here for well, fish no, throwing. Well, like, no, I mean, so. like, you know, coming from small town Montana, and I still have – 
friends and family that come out and visit, I still take them to the fish throwing because I love it. And it's, it's, but it is not something that should be shown on TV every time. It's similar. And you know what? And I do because I love Pearl Jam, not as much as my friend Tim Booth and some of those guys, but, um, and I've seen about six or seven Pearl Jam shows. Any, any lead in doesn't always have to be Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, though. I guess it's all on my playlist. So yeah, I like it, but I, I feel like, TV often relies upon cliches and tropes when they should be a little bit more creative. Agreed. We need to hear a little bit of Sir Mix-a-Lot put him on the glass for, for variety's sake. Ryan, the Seattle Mariners resumed their road trip tonight in Colorado with two games. Marco Gonzalez is going to be on the hill. It, Marco's season has been, I, I don't even want to say, it's, it's been a little disappointing. Um, what, what do you think has gone on with him? I yeah I think you call it disappointing. I think Marco calls it disappointing. Um, I think a lot of starts and stops um, have hurt Marco. He's a guy that relies a lot on just the routine and the preparation throughout the week. When you're a command guy like he is, you do rely on that feel and execution. And I think you know coming out of spring training, there were some starts and stops. I think he was in his mind felt like the six-man rotation would bother him, which is odd because they had a six-man rotation the year before. Um, and then he hurt his forearm. Just about the time where like he was starting to kind of pitch better and look like the Marco Gonzalez of 2019, uh, he, he got injured. He had that forearm injury and it shut him down a month. So then he comes back, looks a little rough at times. Just about the time you think he's figuring it out, he misses some time again because his wife – has a child and he's out basically misses 10 days worth of games. So I, I think that's been part of it, that he has not had a typical season in terms of preparation and, and weekly work in between starts. Um, and then also like, the, this is the risk you run with, with Marco Gonzalez and some of these guys that are command pitchers, that if the command isn't there, if the execution isn't there, the stuff isn't good enough to get by you know, if you don't execute. And we've seen that, you know, he, he doesn't overpower. Fastball tops out at 89 miles an hour. He relies on cutter, changeup, curveball. None of those pitches have been quite to his level of expectation, and that's why we've seen him struggle. Is that something you expect to, I guess, righten itself the rest of the way, given that now he does have a newborn child? I imagine that's got to have some sort of effect on the life of a baseball player day to day. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to figure it out. It's simply for no other reason that he's done it before. So, like, you, 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 if you look at a guy, I look at a guy on that staff and say, look, this is a guy that will work to figure it out and figure out a way to kind of execute. Yeah, I, I think it's him. You know, in the past when things haven't gone right, he's always kind of been competitive enough. Uh, and he's a good enough athlete, which I won't ever say about very many pitchers, but he's a good enough athlete that he'll just continue to, to find ways to make – the corrections with his mechanics and the rhythms and uh, the rhythm and timing of his delivery to be effective. So I, I think he will. I mean, might not happen today. You know, not ideal going into course field coming out of the break if you don't feel like your execution level is perfect. But uh, I do think he'll figure it out eventually. I don't know that he'll be maybe the Marco that we've seen the last couple of years. But again, like people complain about that and everything about giving him the contract. He was worth like nine war over the last three seasons. And that's, basically one more is worth $8 million, 8 to $9 million in value. So, I mean, he's he's basically, you're paying for what you've gotten from him the last few years as well. 
We're talking to Ryan Divish, uh, beat reporter for the Seattle Times. The Mariners uh, take on the Colorado Rockies two games there in Coors Field starting today. They're going to be back in Seattle for a homestand in which they'll face four games against the A's, then three games against the Astros. Really important for their their season in the direction. They've really played their way into a conversation about whether or not they make additions, Ryan. They've kind of played over their head a little bit in terms of run differential. Do you think they can keep this up? I mean, like everything about that I've covered, I mean, everything that I've known about covering baseball says they can't. I mean, like, you know, the run differential is one thing, and you look at the number of one run, one run wins and the number of extra inning wins, and there's a lot of luck factors involved and all that stuff. And the bullpen, which has been outstanding, is basically, I think I wrote that they're the island of misfit arms and minor league signs. You know, like JT, you know, JT Sargois and Drew Steckenrider and Paul Seawald, all these guys that, you know, they were basically cast-offs are, are, are contributing. And you, in your mind, you're saying, well, this just, they can't keep doing this. You know, they just can't. Um, but they, they continue to do it. And along the way, they've gotten better offensively. They're not inept uh, or anemic or any other word you would come up with. They're actually competent. So I think they can be interesting. I mean, the, these games against the A's are going to be huge. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about something you're directly competing with for the wild card, so you can make up some ground. And then that just kind of goes, leaves you with, well, what does Jerry DePoto do? I mean, does he trade Mitch Haniger and bring in a starting pitcher? Do you, you know, like, there's a variety of, of scenarios out there, and I, and I don't know kind of where they're at. I mean, like, you can add, I, I know this, Jerry, and I've heard him on your show say he's very reluctant to trade any of his top prospects and mortgage the future for the moment. And that's all well and good, but at the same time, this is a franchise that's lost some credibility over the years because of their inability to make the postseason and because of some of the things they've done. And you look at the Kevin Mather video with the Bellevue Breakfast Rotary Club, that really hurt their cachet in this in this market, and it, it, it isn't getting better. So, like, if you go into the trade deadline and you're still within two games and you trade Mitch Hanager or you don't add – because of whatever reason, then that's a problem. I, I look back to 2018, and this is something that some players have privately complained about. Well, I guess you would know the players that were there in 2018. That team at the deadline, they only they only added Adam Warren, Cameron Mabin, and Zach Duke. Like three just, you know, JAGs, just another guy. You know, that's what they were, because the organization and the ownership did not want to add a significant amount of payroll and a lot of those players felt like the, the ownership didn't believe in them enough to kind of commit. And that was a team that held the, the uh, second wildcard lead by almost eight games. You know, and the A's caught them and passed them. And the team felt like they didn't do enough to add to help them stave off the A's and get that first postseason. So if you're the Mariners fans now and you're watching a team that's, you know, within two games, if they don't add, if they, for whatever reason, you know, that, that just probably irritates you even more. They have a brutal 19-game stretch ahead of them, and maybe not with Colorado or Texas along the way, but you mentioned Oakland. They have the Astros, and they have road games against Tampa Bay and a four-game set against New York. Do you think that they've already made a decision about what they are going to do at the trade deadline or are really the seven-game stretch that they have at home against the A's than the Astros? Is that going to be something that makes them figure out what they want to do a little bit more clearly? Yeah, I think that seven-game stretch could be real determinant because <clears throat> if they if they play really well and they cut it down to a half game or a game, then you're you're in a different spot. But if, say they lose five of seven, 
you know, then you're you're out of it, and not only you're out of it, but the teams you're playing are 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 probably passing you. Then you could change your your thinking. When Jerry Depoto as creative as he can be, he could take it right up to the deadline. I think it was two years ago. You know, he basically took the Mike Leake trade, which they wanted to get rid of, and Mike Leake wanted out. They took it up to like the last ten seconds of the deadline before you know finally getting it sent in. So, I, I think yeah, they're going to be flexible enough. I'm sure in their mind they have scenarios for both. Like look. If we're out of it, then they're going to go and probably move Mitch Haniger and Kendall Graveman and Chargois or Steckenrider or anybody that's on a one-year or has one year left or they don't feel as part of the future. And then if they think they're in it, they probably have a series of targets. I would assume a starting pitcher that they would be willing to go out and get to go through, you know, to kind of help to push them through. I mean, they don't have that. In past years, you would have the waiver trade deadline where you could add another piece. So they don't have that. So they have to they have to know whether or not they believe this is real as well and that they can do it. That stretch, you know, where they have to go to Tropicana Mall and Field and play the Rays, that's going to be really difficult. You know, they took three out of they, – they took that series from the Rays this early in the season, but the Rays are a little bit better team, and, and the Rays could actually have Nelson Cruz on their team by the time mm. that happens. So a lot can change in that time. But I, I just think, you know, you've you got to reward – your players for playing well and putting you in a position that you've overachieved. Like, how do you tell JP Crawford, who is the emotional leader of this team and who takes everything so personally that you're not going to add, that you don't believe in all the things that they've done to this point, whether or not the numbers say that it's correct, they've gotten here by playing well and doing these things. How do you tell those guys in that clubhouse, Hey, you're going to trade your best outfielder or B, you're not going to add and help them out. It's basically slapping him in the face, saying, hey, we don't really believe in you, but we'll believe in you next year. Either you believe in them all the time or you don't. Ryan Davis from the Seattle Times. My last question for you, Ryan. Uh, they're facing Marco Gonzalez on the mound tonight against Herman Marquez, who is the darling of my dreams, the apple of my eye. I think he might be the best player that changes teams at the trade deadline. Is there any possibility the Mariners get him? I, I would think for them to get uh, Herman Marquez, they would have to give up either George Kirby or Emerson Hancock, and I don't think that Terry DePoto is willing to do that. And you're right, Danny. Herman Marquez is a proven big league uh, uh, producer, and he works so fast. It makes me so happy. He's everything <laughs> that Miguel Batista wasn't. He works fast. He's not annoying. He doesn't listen to Kenny G and play a, a like concert him. clarinet. I I just I think the thing is is like if you add Herman Marquez to that rotation, it it just makes it so much better because you don't know next year what you're going to have with Justice. You really don't know what you're going to have with Justice Sheffield or Justin Dunn when they're going to be back. And and Herman Marquez is somebody you have for three more years. And I just think like, look, if you really believe that this team next year is going to take a major step, you need to add a viable front-of-the-line rotation guy to make it work. Because right now you have Kikuchi, you have Marco, and you have Logan Gilbert, who's still a rookie. And we saw Justice Sheffield last year as a rookie did really well and then took a step back. That's not to say that Logan Gilbert's going to follow it, but it's possible. So they don't have established arms. I mean, even like Chris Flexen, what you've gotten from him is a massive uh, over-exceeding of, of what he's supposed to be. So And he could take a step back. So I just think like somebody like Marquez, who put up numbers in Coors Field, you you want him if you can get him, but the price may be too high. He is Ryan Devish. Ryan, just a word of warning. If you've never been to the Shire, don't ever come to the Shire because you wouldn't understand the Shire. So you should probably I've stay never seen, 
I've never seen any of the Lord of the Ring movies. I just know that you look like every one of those guys on the poster board. So, you know, I, I just I'm going to use that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Ryan, it's good to talk to you. We look forward to Thanks, catching up with you in the future. All right, see you guys. That is Ryan Davish. Uh, we are going to have two tickets to Saturday's game, July 24th, where it is Retro Jersey Night. The first 10,000 fans are going to be getting those. We're going to have two tickets that we're going to give away. That's coming up sometime this hour. We're doing it all day today throughout our schedule on 710 ESPN Seattle. Right now, we go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. What's going on around the NFL, Maura Dooley? Man, you and Ryan Divis have a, a special relationship, Danny. Endless love. We'll give each other a fair amount of grief. <laughs> yeah, you too. Ryan's a good sport. <laughs> His, his his fitted hat size is Jupiter. <laughs> that means it's big, guys. Yeah. All right, guys. First up, uh, Adam Schefter reports that Aaron Rodgers turned down a sizable deal from the Green Bay Packers this offseason. At some point this offseason, the Green Bay Packers offered Aaron Rodgers a two-year contract extension that would have tied him to Green Bay for five more seasons, made him the highest-paid quarterback and player in all of football, and Rodgers did not take the offer. And there right there is the proof that you need to know that this is not about money. This, over the course of the next week, and the discussions that they will have, the two sides, is about figuring out a way that Aaron Rodgers would be willing to show a camp so that he could eventually leave the Green Bay Packers. Sounds like the Packers leaked that to Adam Schefter. Sure does. And Schefter interpreted it in a way that makes Aaron Rodgers, ironically, sound very noble, even though he is given that information by Green Bay. It's the whole thing is funny, man. I don't care about money. I just want to be treated right with my team that has been 13-3 and and in the NFC Championship game the last two years and a wide receiver in Devontae Adams who nearly had 20 touchdown receptions. But if they engaged in negotiations, doesn't that mean that Aaron was at least with, like they came in, Aaron, we're sorry. We want to make a long-term commitment to you. We realize that this has been uncomfortable for the past year. And Aaron's response was, well, how sorry are you? Yep. Are you sorry And then sorry they gave enough? him an offer. And they're like, we're sorry enough that we'll make you the highest paid quarterback in the league. But you need to be sorry enough that you'll let me paddle, Mark Murphy. No, sorrier. <laughs> Sorrier, and Green Bay's fine, fine. You don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. And like, I don't want to play here anymore. Aaron Rodgers wants a Kevin Bacon from Animal House situation. Thank you, sir. May I please have another? And that is not going to happen. I could see this being excruciating if you're a Packers fan. From an overall football fan, it's not that uncommon. I mean, most quarterbacks finish with other teams, right? Joe Montana finished with the Kansas City Chiefs. Joe Namath retired with. Do you know what team, Paul? The Los Angeles Rams. That's correct. Warren Moon left Houston. Like, dudes play other places. This happens. Yep. And it's pretty funny when it does. Especially when it helps out the Seattle Seahawks. Tom yeah. Brady goes to goes to Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. He called himself Sleepy Tom today, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? Sleepy Tom? Yeah, because he was making fun of himself for that time that he forgot what down it was. This is when they were oh. all at the White House. The Buccaneers were at the White House today. I thought it was the time that he got 
boat drunk and started throwing the Lombardi Trophy willy nilly around the uh, the Tampa Bay area. Oh yeah, that was awesome. And, and you see that the, the the Tampa Bay Lightning did not fare so well because they dented the Stanley Cup Trophy. The Doesn't Super Bowl Trophy happen? remained intact. Uh, I guess it hasn't happened in like seven years or so. I actually looked this up, but it has happened recently. It's a giant thing. Would you drink out of the Stanley Cup? Yes, absolutely. It's foul. So? So much stuff has been in there. Going to build up my immune system. <laughs> One of the players actually let his child use it as a diaper. I would not. Yeah! Have. See, exactly. Yeah. You're going to drink out of that? Well, just, you know, spray a little bleach on it. Ew. Yeah, that's definitely what you want to do before you drink out of something. <laughs> yeah, build up, build up your tolerance oh to bleach. Oh, my goodness. How are you still alive? <laughs> Yeah. 33-year-old free agent defensive tackle Geno Atkins has been cleared for football activity from a torn rotator cuff and will start taking visits soon. Any interest here in Seattle? Yes. I like Geno Atkins. I like him too, but so the report says that he got cleared in mid-June, and this yeah. feels very much like his agent's like, hey, remember Geno? He's still here, guys. Hello? Anyone want to sign him? So yeah. I wonder why he's still out there. We did see Melvin Ingram just get signed, too, and he was available for quite some time. But it made sense because, I mean, he had two injuries last year and had zero sacks, too. It's a phrase when somebody says the price of the brick just went up. That generally refers to cir- circumstances having changed to increase the price of said product. Well, the price of this brick is going down. Mm-hmm. No takers at $6 million a year. How about $4 million a year? Yes, I'm interested as the price starts to come down. Gino Smith, Gino Atkins is a good player. He is. He is. He would be reunited with Carlos Dunlap, so there'd be some degree of familiarity. There's defensive also- tackles have a long lifespan, man. Like it's one of those. It's not a position where all of a sudden you go off the cliff. Like guys that are good can have a number of years where they're no longer great, no longer franchise level players, but they're product productive dudes. Seattle had one here for a year in, in Kevin Williams. Yes, I'm very interested. And ask yourself. What is a veteran player who's been with a bad organization his whole career going to do when he joins a team that's actually a good one? Especially if he has been a consummate professional for much of his career. And Atkins has been that. All right, a little bit of a uh, Stefan Gilmore update today as Michael Giardi of NFL Media reports that Gilmore's side is open to a multi-year extension, but would also be willing to take a one-year jump in salary with free agency looming next season in order to make this work. Mm, sounds like he's going to end up taking that one-year jump in salary then if that happens. Because I doubt Are the Patriots going to give it to him? I doubt that Belichick Or is this the assumption him. that the Patriots are dealing him and the new team's going to have to pay him more money? Belichick really likes Gilmore. But I don't see them extending him long-term, if that makes sense. I could see them giving him more money this offseason. I mean, they've spent so much money. What's what's a couple more bucks to just to make sure that Stephon Gilmore's in the fold? Do right by him, and maybe that gives you a chance to have good-faith negotiations this offseason when he goes to free agency. But, I mean, it's starting to look like this is going to be his last season there. I Especially as he gets up there in age. He's coming off the torn quad. I mean, I, I feel like this is exactly where Belichick typically decides to cut the cut the lines. Are you interested in him? Yes. In Seattle? Yes. Yes. I mean, they don't have a second cornerback right now. I mean, DJ Reed's your number one. You're not sure who your number two is. And are you even sure that DJ Reed is your number one? He played really well last year. But remember that the Seahawks defense took its steps forward against some Mark quarterbacks. It's Danny and Gallant. We still got those two tickets to give away to the Mariners game on Saturday, Retro Jersey night, and a conversation about who needs to step up for Seattle in the second half of this baseball season. That's all ahead. You are listening to Danny and Gallant.
on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Told you, give you a chance to go to the game on July 24th, which is Saturday. 206-421-3776-866-979-3776. Not quite yet. One minute from now. If you're listening on the radio, 30 seconds if you're on the stream, 206-421-3776. Caller number three will win two tickets to the Mariners Retro Jersey Night. That is July 24th. We're giving away a pair of Mariner tickets each hour today. Stay tuned to 710 ESPN Seattle for your next chance to win. The Mariners are back on the field tonight. They'll take on the Colorado Rockies, the first of two games at Coors Field. It's Marco Gonzalez's hometown. His first game there in Denver since he joined the Mariners. Not the first time he's played there. He pitched there when he was with the St. Louis Cardinals. It's a big night for him. It's also a big second half of the season. The The first half of the year has been a disappointment. He has been Seattle's most consistent pitcher, one of the American League's most consistent pitchers over the past three years, and he hasn't been the same dude this year. No, he hasn't. And why that is, is hard to guess. And you mentioned some of them. I mean, the season starts off where he's banged up and the, the he has a kid. I mean, there are definitely some factors at play, but this is also a guy that you've consistently looked at as perhaps the leader of your team, and something's up. What it is, I, I really can't put my finger to it, but for a guy who is so dependent on location and maybe isn't hitting the location with the same ability as he has in years past, you can see how guys are turning on that ball that he throws because he's not throwing it with a lot of velocity. Luke Arkins, who writes for Prospect Insider and is our baseball on this show pointed out that Marco the biggest difference that you see in Marco is that the strikes he does throw this year are getting hit which with a much higher like getting hit and hit harder than they have in years past and what does that tell you it means that either guys know what's coming or that guys are able to react to what he throws and punish him when he throws strikes that probably speaks to as much as anything it's not about stuff with Marco. It's always been about approach. It's about control. So whether he's putting pitches in spots that allow guys to hit, he's not fooling anybody. You have to be able to thrive off of that. When a guy like Marco who does not survive on velocity, it's not about blowing things by somebody. It's got to be about your your ability to execute your pitches. And Marco is not executing this year in the same way. If there, If Seattle is going to pay this first half off, if Seattle is going to finish the year with a plus 500 record, if they're going to make a run at, at a playoff berth, they're going to need Marco Gonzalez to be a good, maybe even a great pitcher in the second half. He He's going to need, and that's not unrealistic to think that he'll correct. Good that, is that not he's unrealistic, go, right. He's he, That he's going to pull off of this bad stretch of road, but it's pretty important. This is this is a pretty important time for him. They've They've won so far in spite of him. They're going to have to win because of him in the second half. Right, and... I wonder if that's going to happen. I mean, this is not exactly the best place to start things off, Coors Field. Yeah, but it's him at home, and he's someone that thrives on being his focus and his competitiveness. I'm not. I'm not scared about that part of it. I. I want to. I want to see what he can do. All the time when you say like, "Hey, we'll see how this turns out." Yeah, this is going to be a large part of the story of their second half. He's going to need to be better, and it's reasonable to expect him to be better. You've invested a lot in him. He's got the kind of personality. Like that that's that's the number one thing that the Mariners said when they got him. Competitive mindset, makeup, this guy's got it. 
Scott Service said it. Jerry Depoto said it. Like, his, his mental makeup, this is exactly what you want in a player. Okay. Part of that means that the ability to bounce back from a tough stretch of road. Part, part of that being a competitor is being able to turn the tide when things are going against you. You're not the good time Charlie that, hey, I, I'm, I'm leading the parade when everything's out in front. But yeah, right now, okay, you need somebody to dig down, set their heels in, and push back in the second half. He's got to be your guy. Yeah, he does. We hear that word bulldog all the time with him, right? And it has not been the kind of bulldog that you want to see. It's the bulldog who's like essentially on his back looking up at the at the ceiling, looking a little bit helpless here. I, I'm i not holding my breath, I guess, for the return of that Gonzalez. I guess above average Gonzalez is all I'm asking for. Because with the rest of the rotation, I mean, that, that, should, that should give you a better chance at the very least of finishing above 500. I expect Chris Flexen to at the very least maintain this level of consistency. You say Kikuchi I am concerned about right now. I, I'm, I'm not sure what exactly is going on with him, but... When I heard Ryan Roland Smith sort of confirm some of my concerns about him, I raised my was, eyebrows a bit. It was interesting what Ryan said about him. If we have that sound, because Ryan Roland Smith was saying the thing that set him or that alerted him was that he started throwing away from contact. And it was like it, he became tentative. Here's Ryan Roland Smith talking about what he noticed with Yusei Kikuchi. He started pitching away from contact, and that is just a straight red flag. That not a physical thing, but psychologically something's off just a little bit. The last start, that first inning, comes out of the gates. He's ninety five, ninety six right away, and 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 competing like I'm talking throwing the pitch down the middle to compete against guys who are extremely aggressive. The, the Angels lineup, and then all of a sudden he couldn't command that fastball, and then that slider he had some feel for the slider, so all of a sudden he gets really slider heavy, and then he goes into that mode where he's pitching away from contact. We saw that a couple of years ago. That's not his. That's not his his avenue of success whatsoever. He's mentioned that maybe he's experiencing a little bit of summer fatigue. But what Ryan said right there, I saw that in the second at bat of the game against the Yankees. I mean, he didn't throw one even remotely hittable pitch to Aaron Judge, and I saw that, and I'm like, man, what's what's going on here? Because you would think that a guy pitching at the level Kikuchi was. I mean, he was an all star before. Uh, you know, he he had been named to the All Star game. This was one of the last games before. And he just looked like he was afraid of putting it anywhere near any of these batters. What Ryan's saying is that's between his ears. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my impression that I got based off of that one moment in time. And it's a small little slice, but it's, I think, a noteworthy one. That you, you get tentative or get worried about it, and then you don't have a chance. Now, to be fair, he did get, he, he did get knocked around pretty good in his last outing. It wasn't that he was afraid of getting hit. Like this, True. the the, prop, the problem with his his last outing against the Angels on Saturday, a he was great against Otani, struck him out four times, only the second time that's happened in Otani's career. But you, you you're going to need that. I think that the second, I I think that this Mariners season depends upon Kelnick and Marco Gonzalez. I, I I really I think that those are the two key guys. Yes, you you hope that you say Kikuchi gets, but. You're gonna you're gonna need Marco Gonzalez to pitch like the ace he has been for you. You're gonna need him to pitch like he has over the past three years. You won in spite of him doing that. You're you're not gonna win in the second half of the year. You're not gonna have a winning record in the second half of the year if you you get if Marco continues what he did in the first half. You need him to be better. And and honestly, if you're looking for somebody to put this team over the top, is it fair to expect Jared Kelnick to be a good player in the second half? It's not fair. But if if they're going to get to where if they're going to get to a point where they're in the playoff conversation, 
If they're going to finish with a winning record, Kelnick's going to need to be a good player too. What's more likely? Marco Gonzalez because rebounded. of the track record. What's Mar- Marco because and you haven't seen it from Kelnick? He, he's all we've seen from him at the big league level is struggle, though it looks like he's he's bounced out of that. But Marco Gonzalez, who's on the hill tonight against uh, Herman Marquez, a- absolutely at the top of the list of guys who will need to have better second halves that the Mariners are going to cash in what has been a very surprising first half. It is Danny and Gallant. We're going to raise flags. That's coming up next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. It is time for us to wrap up all that was included in our three hours today. Paul, do you want to go first here? Yeah, I'm going to go first. And I'm going to go really quickly with two of them. First off. I'm throwing a flag at Yankee fans who are still barbarian savages. What a surprise in a Red Sox-Yankee game, a fan threw a baseball at Red Sox left fielder Alex Verdugo. He has been banned for life from attending Major League games. Wow, congrats. That's going to show all those people out in the outfield at the Bronx Zoo. Two questions. First, it's not a question, an observation. This story is actually worse than just that. Verdugo was tossing a ball to a Red Sox fan. The Yankee fan intercepted the ball, from what I understand, and threw it back and hit Verdugo. That's just, just lame. Yep. Awful. The second part is, aren't these lifetime bans some sort of cheese? Like, it means they can't buy season tickets, right? Like, how can you regulate that guy from ever buying? Like, do you have facial recognition technology that keeps him out? It seems like that's... And I don't know what the realistic expectation for teams to do is, but it seems like he's been banned for life. It kind of seems like a rule with no teeth. Maybe if you purchase it online, they can determine who you are. But yeah, if you're just walking up to, I guess, Will Call and buying tickets with cash, they're not going to have any idea. So I'm with you. I've always felt this way about banning a fan for life. That guy can always get back in to the arena until there is some sort of facial recognition technology that's in the, uh, all of these stadiums. And it sounds like that that's something that will never happen. What if what if you created a criminal statute where that person had to get jerk tattooed on their forehead? Like, if you're shown to have thrown something at an athlete during a contest, like, we all agree, and you have to fight. It's, it's one of the disclaimers on the back, like, hey, be careful of foul balls. And, oh, by the way, if you do something as jerkish as throw something at one of the athletes, jerk will be tattooed on your forehead four inches by two inches. That could work unless the person's throwing money on the field as a symbol of somebody being a Hessian and taking a deal to go elsewhere in mercenary fashion. Uh, the other flag I wanted to throw, Danny, really quickly, Pro Football Focus, they put up one of their stupid graphics. I, I hate what a lot of these social media accounts have become where something happens and then they'll post a graphic and the graphic will have like some sort of information on it that's supposedly like breaking news or noteworthy and it gets a lot more interactions on social media because of it. But Pro Football Focus put out after Cam Akers tore his Achilles this, after, uh, this morning uh, while training, they put out a post that said that Daryl Henderson is going to rush for 1,450 yards and 10 touchdowns. I retweeted calm down. I tweeted calm down at them and they deleted it like a bunch of cowards. 
So I guess Pro Football Focus and all of your statistics, I guess you actually don't know what you're talking about if you're going to back off that quickly when some yokel is tweeting during a commercial break to calm down. I, I'm going to guess it might have been other tweets other than yours that, that led them to delete it. Possibly. I'm, I'm going to guess that you probably didn't have the most stringent reaction to it. And maybe someone looked at it and like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be like tweeting about fantasy football implications of real-world in- injuries. Yeah, that's probably smart. But also, or- Daryl Henderson's going to get 1,500 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns? I mean, what is he, Derrick Henry? Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's also Laura, a trash you, fantasy football take. Yeah, that's, that's main, like that's yeah. that's my main objection. No, I'm just kidding. You know what? On a oh, day it's where not it, the humanity. Oh, I, I didn't eat, realize. I'm just I, no, I thought it was because it was like in poor taste. No, you were like the the actual facts of it. You thought it was factually improbable. In, in I'm, I'm staying on brand today, <laughs> and I do wish Cam Akers the best. I seriously do. I don't think it's wrong to say though that it's good for the Seahawks that the best running back on the Rams, who ran all over the Seahawks in the playoffs, isn't going to be there this season. I don't know if it's wrong. It's in poor taste. I hope, I, again, I wish him the best. Torn Achilles stink. I'm waiting for your conjunction to be added on there. Well, keep on waiting. Mora, what do we got? <laughs> I'm going to raise a flag for Mets announcer Gary Cohen for just not being afraid to trash uh, the Cincinnati delicacy known as Skyline Chili during a Mets Red broadcast the other night. He he went all in. This is the local delicacy known as Skyline Chili. The five way with the spaghetti and the beans and the cheese. Five way. First the uh, the disgusting chili gravy. And what do you put on the onions? Do you put some mustard or something on that? Wait a second. After the onions comes the cheese, and that's what makes it the five-way. Here we go. Here's the cheese. They put like 10 tons of shredded cheese on there, and this is supposed to be food that you actually eat. Now, does the cheese melt, or is that a... Ronnie, Ronnie, have you ever had skyline chili? I have not. I have not. I would recommend... Not having it? Well, no. You you need to try everything once. Okay. All right. It doesn't kill you. It makes you stronger. Try it once, and then you'll never eat it again. <laughs> Isn't it just spaghetti with chili put on top of it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, look, that's not optimal, but that doesn't sound terrible. I mean, there's not that much of a difference between chili and some sort of thick meat sauce that would be potentially put on top of pasta. So, look, I'm not going to act like I'd ever go out of my way to get Skyline Chili, but I feel like people make fun of Skyline Chili because it's easy to make fun of Skyline Chili, sort of like Nickelback. I agree with that take. It's weird that it's a staple and sort of identified as yeah. this 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 pride food where you're like, that is a strange looking dish. And it's not the tastiest thing, but people go out of their way to dump on it. It's it's not that bad. Have you had it before? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When I went to Cincinnati. It's not that bad. What would you it's rate not it? One through ten. Three and a half. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's not that back. bad, but it probably shouldn't be the pride yeah. of the city. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's not it's not something that you're like, oh, that was a satisfying meal. Or like, oh, all things being equal, that was fine. You're like, yeah, I don't know why. But it's not like, oh, my God, I can't believe they eat this. This is the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. What would you guess the pride food of a city bordering on Kentucky would be? Well, I thought it would be something drowned in bourbon. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would think, too. Like, pound cake. 
There's there's some underrated parts of Cincinnati. The over the Rhine district is awesome. I had one of the best pieces of fried chicken I've ever had in my really? life there. Mm. Yeah, some delicious cornbread. It was called American Eagle. Oh, was the restaurant? Yeah, it was, fried, it was fried incredible. Because Kentucky, right? Is that is that where the best fried chicken in the country is? Other than Azell's? I don't know. Apparently, for that one list someone put up there. The Colonel's secret blend of eleven herbs and spices. <laughs> I think you might have fallen victim to marketing. I did. I would like to raise a flag for Greg Knapp. Greg Knapp is a longtime NFL assistant coach. He was a offensive coordinator here in 2009, uh, the year Jim Mora was head coach. Uh, he's currently on the Jets staff. He was involved in a car accident. Um, he was on a bike. He was hit, um, and it sounds like he's sustained life-threatening injuries. It was his where he lives in Danville, which is kind of in the Oakland area. It's in the East Bay. Best thoughts to him. He's a really good dude. And he's someone who has made friends in the NFL. I know that the Graz knows him from back in Sacramento. Greg Knapp had a college career playing quarterback at Sacramento State. And just just best thoughts for him. He's a really good dude. And he was here for one year, but was someone who was very important to a lot of players. I've never met somebody who didn't like Greg Knapp. Guy's an absolute sweetheart of a person and is a father and a family. And it it sounds like it's a pretty dire situation. So That's my terrible. best thoughts go out to him. Yeah, absolutely. That's awful. That's going to do it for us today. We're about a week out. About a week out from Seahawks training camp, which should be very fun. We got the expansion draft tomorrow. We'll be getting you set for there. Maybe some more hockey vocab. Want to thank Ryan Divish for joining us, the professor John Clayton, and Brock Heward, who we embarrassed with the story about the teammate who wanted to give him a talking to. Olin Kutz. See if Brock forgives us for that. Maura Dooley is the one who keeps this thing sunshiny and on the right side of the tracks. And Paul is the one with the little dark corner of his soul, which is, hey, it's good for the Seahawks. Maybe I'll have to go to penance later or something like that to uh, revive some old Catholic guilt uh, remedies. And uh, he is Danny O'Neill. And if you get him in a room with Ryan Divish, you can guarantee that he will be called a hobbit at least once. (laughs) So long, farewell, and up next, does Russell Wilson's mere existence guarantee that every single year he's with the Seahawks the rest of his career that they'll be above 500? You get to answer that question next. Plus, we'll talk about the Mariners' upcoming series on the Paul Gallant Show. Don't go anywhere.